You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we continue our series in Galatians, Live Free. This letter is about living in the freedom that God has given us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Free from self, free from sin, free from shame, and free from religion. That's right, free from religion. Galatians 5.1 says this, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. That means in this understanding, stand secure in this and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, which is religion and rules and regulations. God did not build a ladder for us to climb to heaven. Our efforts to get to God are not an effort of climbing and work in, that is slavery, uh, Paul says, but rather God came to us. So here's the recap of where we've been because we're going through this whole letter verse by verse is this Paul is preaching to the churches that he had planted. He's writing a letter to the churches he had planted that are in danger of false teachers seeking to undermine him with a false gospel. And he's writing to the Galatians. So this is a letter to the Galatians, which is modern-day Turkey today. Now, this wasn't just your typical Roman citizen in Galatia. These guys were known as a reputation for being warriors, hired mercenaries, uh, pretty wild pagans, and, and uh, they were definitely Gentiles. That means they weren't Jewish. They didn't have Jewish background. They didn't own an Old Testament. They never read the Torah. They never even heard who Yahweh was. They don't know who Jesus is. Here comes Paul preaching freedom in Christ from their past and from religion. And this is an emergency letter that Paul writes is a personal, passionate response to the gospel and his authority as an apostle. And this is what's happening so far. Paul started out with a clear definition of the gospel. He says, this is the gospel, very plain and simple. It's this, that Jesus lived He was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead to rescue us from our sin. He says, this is the gospel. This is the plain gospel. He starts off with defining the gospel, and he is astonished. He's astonished that they are confused about this simple gospel and concerned that they are being turned to a false gospel, a counterfeit gospel. And he reminds them last week of his throwdown with Jesus, where Jesus met him on that road to Damascus and threw him down on the ground and and how he met Jesus. Today, he's going to talk about a showdown uh, with a couple of disciples. And this is the big issue in Galatians. In Galatians, they were taking the cross and adding to our salvation what is required. So they were adding to the cross what they say it means to be saved. You see, there were these teachers that followed Paul around everywhere he preached. And whenever Paul would leave a place, these guys would come in and they would preach a false gospel behind Paul's teaching and say that Paul is a false teacher. Who are these people? Well, they were known as Judaizers. That means these were people who were uh, Jewish Christians who believed that if you wanted to be a Christian Christian, a real Christian, you had to become Jewish, follow all the laws, the traditions, 
read the Torah, obey the festivals, you know, eat kosher, and you had to do other things, which is going to come up today. Um, and this is a group of guys that never even heard of the Old Testament before. So Paul just preached salvation through Jesus Christ and freedom, living free from religion and finding freedom in Jesus. And then this group comes in and says, ah, no, there's more to the gospel. There's more. There, you need to add stuff. So what these guys did is they would come in and they would add to the gospel. They would add all kinds of stuff. They would say, well, you need to, to follow the traditions. You need to, you know look like us, dress like us, act like us. This is, he said, this is basically what he's doing. All right, I've got some more here. I'm gonna put these on throughout the whole thing. So basically he says, he's adding to the gospel. Now these guys, as they were adding to the gospel, it was infuriating, infuriating Paul. So he writes this letter. And in this chapter, he addresses probably the strangest issue in the whole Bible. Okay, and he actually talks about it for a few chapters. The strangest issue of the whole Bible, the, the strangest command in the whole Bible. And, and I want to warn you ahead of time that, that for the next few minutes, this is going to have some mature content. Okay, so if you have children in the room and you're live streaming, you might, you know, want to just wait a few minutes and, and all you graduates, you're old enough to, to be a part of this conversation uh, because today the Apostle Paul talks about how they were adding to the cross circumcision, all right? So what is circumcision? Well, I'm going to define it once and only once, all right? Um, they were told that if they really wanted to be a Christian, they had to be circumcised. Now, this is in a culture that did not circumcise, didn't even know what it meant. And what exactly is circumcision, and why would God even say to do it to begin with? Because it is in the Bible. And uh, the backstory of it is simply this. God met Abram, uh, the prophet Abraham, uh, who, who his name was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham. Um, he added his name to his name, Abraham. That's part of God's name, Yahweh. So he actually added his name to Abraham's name. So he changed Abram to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to give you a covenant that will be for your family that will change and bless the world. You're going to be the descendant. Your family is going to be the one that's going to change the world through a Messiah, the promised one. And this would be part of God's redemption plan for the whole earth. And he says, God told him as a sign of this covenant and his family that he was to go back and circumcise his whole family and everybody in his family. And I will only say this once what circumcision is. Okay, circumcision is this. It's a cutting away and the removal of the foreskin from the penis. That is what God had asked Abraham to do. In fact, so you can better understand it, I, I have a graphic video here to show you. To, I'm just kidding, I don't. That, that is crazy. I, I think a better way to kind of deal with this is kind of through humor. So I have this little clip uh, with uh, Michael Jr., a comedian, and um, it's a lower quality clip, but it's really funny as he talks about this promise that God told Abraham. I was reading, I wanted to know about the blessings of Abraham, so I'm reading the Bible, it's like Genesis and 
One of the things that blessed him about Abraham was the obedience of his household. His name used to be Abram, and one day God told him to change his name. God changed his name and told him to go home and circumcise his entire household. Even the servants, the Bible said he went home that same day and did it. That is obedience. Because I don't know if I could have been a servant. I'm just saying I had a couple questions first. Like, wait, what, what, what happened? What happened? You changed your name? I don't think I know you then. I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. Okay, okay. Can we just talk for a second? Can we just talk? Okay. Can you stop sharpening that rock while we talk, though? It's, it's distracting. It's distracting a little bit. I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to focus. Okay, what exactly did God say? His words, please. Okay, circumcise in the flesh of the foreskin. You sure didn't say your skin? Go back up there and check, man. Come back with a note. And then going to church could be a little intimidating sometimes. Like you're trying to look for the right church. You'll never find the perfect church. So you just stop looking for the perfect church because you ain't perfect. Go ahead. I went to one church and uh, alright that's as much as we're going to see the video and uh, it's funny you can check out Michael Jr. comedy online um, let's take a look at where it says it in Genesis chapter 17 it says this in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 17 uh, then God said to Abraham your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant you and your descendants have this continual responsibility, he says. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From one generation to the next generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day of his birth. Jesus, who was a, uh, a very faithful Jew, he and his family, he was circumcised on the eighth day. The Bible even records that event. Like every good Jewish boy, um, he goes on to say in Genesis, this applies not only to members of your family, but also the servants born in your household and the foreign born servants whom you have purchased all must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. And he did. And the Bible says 318 people were circumcised that day. Wow. Wow. What obedience. And like Michael Jr. said, I don't think I could have been a servant or I don't know if I would have wanted to claim him as my father if he was going to uh, do this. I had no idea what this even meant until then. So this was kind of a new thing. Why in the world, one of the strangest commands in all of the Bible, why would God ever say this? Well, there's a couple of reasons, um, but the primary reasons are this. This is a physical reminder that represents our heart. This is what Deuteronomy 10 says. It says that, that that circumcision is a representation of our heart and it's a cutting away of the heart. It's a setting apart of our heart unto the Lord. It identifies our heart as one who is with God in the most intimate places of our life. And it's a declaration that God has all of us, all of our life. And it had become the ultimate test of true Jewishness at the time. And it was the center of the debate in the entire letter of Galatians. 
Because here's a group of people that only knew the cross. But yet some Jewish Christians were coming in saying, all right, you really want to be Christian? You need to circumcise yourself. Imagine these tough guys from Galatia, you know, known to be warriors and soldiers and mercenaries. Imagine he comes in and the guy's like, okay, okay, if you want to be saved, line up over here. We're going to circumcise you. We're like, what? What are you talking about? The altar. Could you imagine the new altar call? All right, come to know Jesus. Come to know Jesus. A new outreach. Circumcision Sunday. Could you imagine that? Uh, bring your friends on Sunday. Uh, it's circumcision day, just like baptism. That is kind of what they were teaching them, these false gospel teachers, saying, if you really want to be Christian, you must do this. Now today, Paul is going to share two stories about two people to prove one point. There are two showdowns in, in the most difficult command and one of the most difficult decisions. And you're going to see two apostles fight in this chapter. You're going to see the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul have a fight. All right. So let's take a look at, first of all, showdown one is the witness. All right. There's a guy who's a witness. So let's take a look at that passage. We're going to read most of uh, chapter two. So, so pull out your Bible and join us. Um, the story in Acts 15 is the backdrop for Acts, uh, for Galatians chapter two. And this is uh, Acts 15, one. It says, certain people came down um, from Judea to Antioch. Now that's actually north of each other, but they're coming down elevation wise. So that's not a misprint. It's not a mistake. It's not a, it's not a problem. It's they're coming down elevation wise. So they're coming down out of the mountains from Judea to Antioch and uh, where the teaching uh, where they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up, that's elevation-wise, climb the hill to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. All right, it's a church council. Hey, we're going to have a big meeting. There's some guys here that are telling us that all these Gentile Christians have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So they went all the way to Jerusalem to debate this. And here is uh, what they were doing and saying. They were saying this, that the cross was not enough. They were saying that somehow, if you really want to go pro with Jesus, then you have got to get circumcised. They were saying that if you really, really want to be like Jesus, then you have to buy into our products. This is an apple right there for Apple. If you really want to buy into the kingdom, you have to follow this. And they were giving them all these restrictions to say, if you really want to know Jesus, for example, we still do this today. If you really want to be a Christian, you got to speak in tongues. If you really want to be a Christian, you have to be baptized a certain way. If you really want to be a Christian, you have to pray an hour a day. If you really want to be a Christian, you have to vote my way. You have to vote a way that I like. You have to be a Republican or you have to be a Democrat. If you really want to be a Christian, then you have to vote the way that I think or our church thinks or our group thinks. You have to put your hair up in a bun. You have to, um, you know, go to our denomination. They were turning the culture into the gospel. 
and they were turning the tools into the rules. And they were putting things over the cross, just like a lot of us, we put things here so you can see that over the cross. Where they had a tendency, and we still do today, unfortunately, to add to the gospel. So this is the backdrop for Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to begin. It says, then after 14 years, that means after he was saved, served, commissioned, spent a year on mission, he had, it had been 14 years since he had been back uh, to the place uh, of Jerusalem. And he says, um, then after 14 years, I went back up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. This is his co-pastor, co-missionary friend. Uh, they were leaders in the uh, church in Antioch together. And I took Titus along also. Titus is important because Titus was a Gentile Christian who was not Jewish. He gave his life to Jesus on the mission field. All right. So verse two, I went in response to a revelation a meeting privately with these esteemed leaders. He said, I heard God on this, and I wanted to make sure that the apostles were on the same page. See, they'd heard of the dispute, and so Paul and Barnabas and Titus went down to Jerusalem because God had put it on their heart so strongly that they were compromising the cross that they had to go and talk to them. He says, I presented to them the gospel that I preached to the Gentiles, which was Jesus lived, Jesus died, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again to rescue us from our sin. That's the gospel. That's the cross. He says, and I preached to the apostles the message I was preaching to the Gentiles. And I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. He said, I wanted to make sure I was preaching the gospel accurately in accordance with what the apostles knew the gospels were because they were the disciples of Jesus. I didn't want it to be undermined. I wanted to make sure we were in agreement. Verse 3, so he brings the witness, Titus. Remember, the first showdown is the witness. So he says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. He was not Jewish. And Titus is a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, this matter arose because some false believers, any believer who adds to the cross anything is a false believer, Paul says. They had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves to rules and regulations. They went, hey, if you want to go pro, you got to be Jewish. So they were, they were changing and adding to the gospel. And he says, um, we did not give them, uh, we did not give into them for a moment, verse 5, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He's talking again to the church in Galatia. He's saying, listen, we went down to Jerusalem. We fought for you. We fought for the, for the purity of the gospel. Don't let these people come in and add anything to the gospel. Don't let anybody tell you that you need Jesus plus anything. And he says, we went to the apostles, to the ones who walked with Jesus, and we talked to them about it. We stood up and we did not give in. And he says, now it's your turn now to not give in and to stand up to these false teachers that are coming into your church. You see, Paul took Titus to prove a point. 
When asked to go by Paul, they could have just said, hey, Titus, write this letter. But no, they said, hey, Barnabas, we got to go. Grab Titus. He loves Jesus. He's on fire for God, and he's not circumcised. Let's show them what a believer looks like who's free in Jesus. It's important to remember that all of the apostles were Jewish. All of the apostles were circumcised. All of them were very devout Jewish followers who gave their life to Jesus. And here comes Titus. The very first Gentile church is Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were co-leaders at. And they bring Titus and say, listen, there's a whole group of believers that aren't buying into the extras because the gospel is clear. Jesus lived, he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again to rescue us from our sin. Verse six, as for those who were held in high esteem, that's church leaders, uh, whatever they were making, uh, whatever they were makes no difference to me. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. If you don't believe the gospel, it doesn't matter how high on the authority, uh, you know, role you are. You could be the senior pastor. If you're preaching a false gospel, it doesn't matter. You know, you could have, you know, two doctorates in in theology, but if you're adding to the gospel, he says, it makes no difference. It doesn't matter to me because God does not like you better than the circumcised. God does not like you better because you know more or have more or pray an hour more or experience more spiritual gifts. This is, you're adding to the gospel. He says, he says, whatever uh, makes no difference to me, God does not show favoritism. He says, they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. Just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Peter was preaching the gospel focused on Jewish people. God had put it on the heart of Paul to preach to people who were not Jewish. For God, who is at at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Same message, same gospel. Jesus lived, died, crucified, buried, was rose again to rescue us from our sin. James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, these apostles that walked with Jesus, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. That means like a handshake extended a helping hand. That means the apostles agreed with Paul. And he says, and when they recognized the grace given to me, that the gospel that I was preaching was true and that I wasn't adding anything, he says, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. All right. So that was the showdown one. We're going to go straight down. We're going to, you know, confront the apostles, make sure we're on the same page. We have a witness, Titus. By the way, circumcision, what does it mean today? Well, it's neither required nor is it forbidden. Christ fulfilled the circumcision of the heart through the blood of Christ. Okay. Now there's a second showdown in chapter two, and this is where it gets a little ugly. Two apostles fighting each other. Peter, Cephas, who had already said, Paul, you're right, preach the gospel to the Gentiles and don't require circumcision. He already said, Paul, you're right, decides to go and visit them in Antioch, all right? And this dinner becomes a confrontation, the confrontation, all right? Though Peter agreed, he didn't always practice it. 
So the greatest, one of the greatest disciples of all, the Apostle Peter, a disciple of Jesus, walked with Jesus from the very beginning. He comes up to visit the church in Antioch, a bunch of Gentiles who were not circumcised. And he was having dinner with them, and he was loving on them, loving on the church in Antioch, telling them that they were of the family of God and not requiring extras until Jewish Christians who were, you know, extreme on circumcision and believed that you must be more Jewish started coming to dinner, and all of a sudden, Peter became a two-face. All of a sudden, Peter, who was saying, you guys are awesome, you're great, we're family. As soon as these other people walked into the, the environment, Peter, and unfortunately others, we're going to find out disappointingly, began to basically shy away from the Gentiles and agree with the others. They became two-faced, and, and Paul was infuriated. All right, So this is one of those really interesting stories where two apostles... I'm thinking, you're about to see fists fly. They don't fly, but I could imagine it could have gotten ugly if the Holy Spirit had not calmed the environment and begin to convict their hearts. So this is what happened. Chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. See, so strong was Peter's previous approval that Paul felt liberty to confront him on his hypocrisy. And he didn't just say, hey, Peter, come here, man. I got to tell you, what are you doing, man? You're out there. He didn't do that. In fact, this passage says he stands up and in front of everybody calls out the apostle Peter as a hypocrite. What? Yeah, you got to respect someone like Paul. His boldness, his passion, maybe he wasn't always tactful, but man, you can't deny his passion. This is verse 12. He says, for before men came from James, that means the Judaizers, those that were adamant about circumcision, before certain men from James had come, he used to eat with the Gentiles, you know, and say, hey, you guys are family. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. I love that. It's like this group, this, this clique, this denomination, whatever, the circumcision denomination group. He says, uh, we were eating with them until they showed up and then they withdrew from them. They stopped eating with them. They margin marginalized them said you're less than Christians and they began even though they agreed that they were believers they began to treat them differently because of the pressure to fit in with these other guys now this is an apostle doing this this is Peter verse 13 the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy <laughs> man so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Man, the, the, the preacher who traveled with Paul, who, was, who gave the gospel to Gentiles, was even marginalizing them. He wanted to fit in so badly. The peer pressure was so great that he began to blend in with this circumcision group. Even Barnabas was led astray. He started to do too. And when I saw that they were acting, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all. He didn't say, hey, Peter, man, come here. He stood up 
I could, you know, I could see him banging his hands on the table, and he says this. In front of them all, he says, are you a Jew? Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He says, man, you believe that they're believers. Why in the world are you telling them they're not Christians now simply because they're not circumcised? He says, you're a hypocrite. He says, he goes on the spiritual rant. It's hard to follow a little bit. We'll try our best because, you know, sometimes when you get all uptight, and remember Paul's writing this by hand, he's, he's upset with the Galatians for buying into this line. He says, listen, I fought for you. Man, I fought for you. I fought for this. He says, I even confronted uh, an apostle in front of others. He says, so he's writing, he says, how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He says, we who are Jews by birth and not, quote, you know, you know, uh, quotation fingers, sinful Gentiles, you know, belittling these guys. Yeah, we're Jewish. You know, we're not sinful Gentiles is what he's saying. Um, know that a person is not justified or declared right by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. We know better than this, he says, that we are declared not guilty, not by what we do, not by circumcision, not by food or, or who we vote for or how we dress or what our hair looks like or what clothes we wear. We're not justified by our actions or our rules, he says, but by faith in Jesus. He says, so we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified or declared right in faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one. Somebody say no one. If you're by yourself, say it out loud. No one will be justified or made right or declared right by God or righteous by God by our stickers, right? By our actions, Peter, he says, you of all people know better. You of all people, you walked with Jesus. The laws, the customs, the rituals, they can't save us. If they could save us, why in the world do we need Jesus? If, if, if we needed to be circumcised or to eat a certain way or to, to, uh, to do some kind of uh, ceremony or ritual, if that can save us, why did Jesus die on the cross? You were raised that way and still you needed salvation. You were raised good Christian boys and girls. You were raised in church, but you still needed Jesus. Some of you were raised in church. Some of our graduates, you were raised in church. Man, we know some of you have been with us for a long time. And it doesn't matter if you went to church since you were able to breathe. You know, uh, one of our daughters, we brought to church within five days of her birth. I mean, she literally was just five days short of being born in a church building. She's been in church her whole life. Listen, she needed Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are, how much you know about the Bible, how clean living you are, if you do all the custom, the rituals, been baptized, doesn't matter. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And there comes a moment when you have to recognize your need for God. It says we're all made right by God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from any, even good works of any kind. Well, you say, well, what's my part? Well, you don't have one. But, but what, what can I do? Nothing. What do I, what's my part to play? You don't have one. 
You don't have a part to play in your salvation. You don't have one. Jesus paid it all. He looks at us as righteous in him. When he looks at us, he looks at the cross. But what we do is even though he looks at us at the cross, through the cross, we are still trying to add, think, well, I got to do something. I got to, you know, maybe if I did this more, did this better, you know, gave this much. Listen, you're just adding to the gospel, adds nothing to your salvation. It's in faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's, this is what this whole letter is about. He's adamant about it. Verse 17, he says, and he's still, he's talking to Peter. He's ranting. He's writing to the Galatians about this. He says, but if in seeking to be justified or made right with God in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners or the Gentiles, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawmaker. He says, if I say I believe that Jesus is all there is, but yet I live a life like he's not all there is, I am a sinner. And and, and I'm lost. I'm a lawbreaker. And I don't understand the gospel. He says, for through the law, I died to the law. You see, the Old Testament, as beautiful as it is to give us the character and the heart, the tenacity and the love of God that he paid out in patience with the people, the Old Testament, all it does is identify a problem with every one of us, and that is we can't follow God's law. That's all it does. It shows our problem. It identifies God's standards and shows how we fail at them. That's why Romans says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. That means the law. We've all fallen short. We cannot live the law and think we're going to find salvation because none of us are able to do it. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I like how the message puts it. I don't normally read the message, but the message in the same chapter, Galatians 2.19 says this. It says, what exactly took place in this? It says, I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. That's pretty cool. That's a good little little commentary on it. It says, we can try and try and try and try and put more stickers and more efforts and more attempts to say, all right, now I can fit in. Now, now the people at my church will like me better. Now God will somehow prove of me more. It says, we can try and we can try, but we will fail and we will fail and we will fail. Then here comes Jesus. And this is, this is not the gospel if you add anything to the cross. Verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Man, what a beautiful verse. He says, man, everything I've ever known about religion is dead to me. Everything that I thought about God had to change. All the views that I thought about what it meant to be loved by God had to die. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is not I who who live any longer, but I live for Christ and Christ in me. The life I now live in this body while I'm alive, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, he really hammers that gospel. Jesus lived, 
He died. He was crucified. He was buried. And he rose again for our sin. Jesus put to death my sin, my failures, and my best efforts. Christ fulfills circumcision by removing the darkness of our hearts and taking away the power of sin. Here's the last passage in this, uh, the last verse in this chapter, and then I want to give you a couple walkaways. It's this, is verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God. He says, I'm not looking back on this or that. He says, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He said, man, if this can get me saved, then what's the cross for? If this can get me saved, why not just do it myself? You know, if this is, if my best efforts in being, you know, a person, you know, that is good and, and you know, votes right and lives right and, you know, is a positive influence. If this is what can make me right, then, then what do I need the cross for? I don't need the cross. I just can do it myself. He says, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through our efforts, through the law, will Christ die for nothing? What do I need the cross for? So if we go back to the rules and rituals of our salvation, uh, for salvation, then we destroy grace, and we are mocking the cross, and Jesus' blood that was shed was for nothing. And if religion and rules can do it, why would we ever preach Jesus? So he says, listen, stop adding. Stop adding to the cross. Stop adding. None of it. None of it. Stop adding to your efforts. Stop trying to fit in the cross. The cross. So I want to end with a couple of thoughts. A few thoughts from this showdown between the witness and at the dinner. And by the way, Paul and Peter worked it out. Okay, they, they became brothers in Christ. There was a healing that took place. We can follow that in Acts as we see their relationship continue. But I tell you what, Paul wasn't about to put up with false teaching. So five thoughts, and this is the first one. I want you to write this down, that church leaders, people, are not infallible. Galatians 2.1 when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, because he was wrong. I opposed him. I didn't, you know, sneak around. I didn't back talk. I didn't go to anybody else and say, man, that Peter guy, he's wrong. I didn't send out a memo. I didn't write a book about Peter. You know, I didn't send out some uh, email blast or, or post some comments about how Peter is wrong on Facebook. I opposed him to his face. You know, if you, have a, if you believe through conviction that, that someone is teaching something false, even a leader, you need to talk to them to their face. God settled it with Peter in a vision in Acts chapter 11, and, and uh, Peter was convicted. He repented before the Lord and before the church, and, and he became an adamant believer of freedom in Christ as he grew in his faith as well. 1 Timothy 5.19, Paul writes to a pastor in Ephesus, his spiritual son, verse 19, chapter 5, it says, Do not entertain the accusation of an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. That means if somebody is trash-talking a pastor, a leader, an elder, you know, 
don't give a lot of attention to it because people are negative unless more than one person is saying it. And he says, if that is the case, unless there's a pattern, he says, verse 20, but those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove. That means correct before everyone so that others may take warning. Wow. Listen, man, I am not perfect. Our staff, our team, our leaders, we, Sam, we are not perfect. Pray for us. If you have a problem with us, talk to us. But if there's a pattern of false teaching or poor practice in my life and I won't respond, listen, you need to make it known to everybody, okay? Because leaders are not infallible. And I need your prayer. I need to stay on the straight and narrow just like you. Here's the second thing this story kind of brings out is that some things are worth fighting over and some things are worth dividing over. There are some things that we can discuss and debate, and there are some things we need to divide about. And the Apostle Paul says this in, in Galatians 2, 5, he says, we did not give in to them for a moment. We didn't entertain it. We weren't going to put up with it. We drew a line in the sand. We didn't give up, uh, give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He says, man, I will die on this hill for the gospel. I won't be uh, taken down by any other uh, truth other than the gospel. The gospel is the one I bow to alone. I won't back down. Listen, there are some things that we can discuss and in, in deba- uh, debate. You know, we don't have to agree on everything. You know, Paul and Peter didn't agree on everything. Barnabas and Paul didn't agree on everything. In his second missionary trip, uh, Paul uh, parted ways with a guy named John Mark. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, and they had a disagreement. They parted ways. Their relationship was healed later on. We see this in the book of Acts, but, but I tell you what, they, they parted ways with disagreements, not over the gospel, however, not over the gospel. We can discuss, we can debate, but listen, the gospel, the purity of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus that rescues us from our sin is one that we cannot, cannot be moved from. True freedom by faith alone. Somebody say out loud, faith alone. Faith alone. No additives. Most people don't like confrontation, so we try to get along. But you need to tell the truth no matter who it may offend whether it's a leader, a friend, a parent, a teacher, no matter who it is, do it lovingly and graciously because there are some things that are worth fighting over. Here's the third thing that this story kind of tells us, these two showdowns, is that uh, the gospel works from the inside out, not the outside in. You see, these Jewish guys, what they were doing is they were saying, um, find one of these stickers. They were saying, hey, man, if you really want to go pro, you need to get circumcised. And they were like, say, it starts on the outside. You've got to change your behavior, change your clothes, change your, you know, your body, literally for them. You have to change them, and then God will work on you. No, no, no. Paul's like, no, this is, this is a joke. Listen, what God does is a work from the inside out. 
Tell the truth. Listen, guys, it's time to lose our religion. There are things we need to let go of, some things that, that, that we need to release. And these are the three things that time to re- lose our religion. We need to remember this, that rituals do not bring salvation. That means baptism is not salvation. It is an outward response to an inward work. It is an outward response to a salvation we already have. Communion does not save us. It's a celebration of our salvation. Ceremonies do not, or rituals do not solidify our salvation. They not bring you salvation. Tongues are not a affirmation or a guarantee that you are saved. Traditions, denominations, whatever. Rituals do not bring you salvation. Lose your religion. Second, you need to lose and understand and remember that practices do not keep your salvation. You know, you're like, man, if you just, you need to stop swearing and and you'll keep your salvation. Listen, as you mature, God will mature your tongue. But if you say a swear word, you're still a believer. You need to let the Holy Spirit work on you and bring self-control in your life, but you're not going to lose your salvation if you do something wrong, if you have an impure thought, or if you have a struggle or a stumble. Because practices do not keep our salvation. If you read your Bible, you know, uh, through, if you can read the Bible from cover to cover in one week, every week for the rest of your life, you're not keeping your salvation. It does not add to your salvation. Man, you could pray all day long and never leave a closet or a prayer room. And listen, it does not keep your salvation. Our salvation is kept through faith in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And practices or these tools are not our salvation. You know, say, well, you know, restrictions do not keep your salvation. If you're a Christian, you don't go to this type of movie or or go to this, you know, listen to this type of music. Listen, practices do not keep your salvation. Now, let's be honest. Some things are not good for your maturity in your salvation. And so as you mature, you need to kind of cut some things out or off or remove yourself from things that are not helpful in your walk with God, but they do not keep your salvation because we are kept through the finished work of the cross. And the third thing we need to lose our religion on is that obedience does not help our salvation. Listen, God doesn't love you more when you read the Bible. He wants us to read it, but he doesn't love you more when you do. But you'll know his love more when you do. He doesn't love you more if you pray every day but you will experience his love more if you can pray every day. You see, God is not calling us to obey in order to help our salvation, but to grow us up in the salvation we already have. And this is what, this is what the letter's about. Paul is saying, listen, you can't add to the cross We are, it is a finished work in Jesus. Notice that these things are what most churches focus on. These things that I, the rituals and practices and and disciplines, these are the things that most churches focus on and fight over. But the only thing that we should be fighting over is the gospel, holding true to the purity of our faith in the gospel. See all those other things, rituals, practices, and disciplines, what they tend to bring is pride, 
and divide. If we can focus on the purity of the gospel and obey what God is convicting us as individuals about, confident in our salvation in Christ, we will reflect Jesus more and more. Our best efforts, actions, and hard work will never be enough to cover our mistakes. God is holy and demands perfection. But guess what? We can't be perfect. But Jesus is. There is no way to salvation through him. Here's uh, the fourth thing that, that kind of stood out to me about this story. Is that our methods might change, but the gospel doesn't. All right? When God had told Moses to do circumcision, that was a method to point to salvation that was to come. Jesus, he fulfills the requirements for circumcision through the circumcision of the heart, all right? And so there are some things that method-wise will change, but the gospel of salvation through the Messiah, Jesus, will never change. Let me put that into to relation here. Um, we will never compromise the truth, but we've got to be flexible in our methods. As cool as you seniors are right now, you know, you're graduates now, you're young adults. And, and you know, the, the music that you listen to that you just is so current, so hip and so cool right now will one day be old and will be laughed at and your kids will make fun of. I promise you, all right? And the, the things that we do in church to be hip and cool now, lights and videos, contemporary music, torn jeans, whatever, you know, these are all fads. You know, our methods of relaying the gospel will change, but the gospel will never, ever, ever, ever change. All over the world, Christians worship differently, and the, the form and the style in which they worship is secondary, while the gospel is always to be primary. God does not run around with a photocopy machine saying, all right, everybody, you need to look like Ted now. You know, all right, you guys now need to look like Sam, or you need to look like this leader, or this author, or you need to look like this pastor, or you need to wear clothes like this, get that hoodie and those cool white tennis shoes, you know. God's not running around with a photocopy machine. He wants you to be you in light of the gospel. Because our methods will change, but the gospel never will. Hymns and organs, they were once, uh, they were there one time not allowed to be in churches. And the reason why organs were not allowed to be in churches because organs were first in bars and saloons. And the church uh, began to bring them into the church buildings in order to sing uh, with accompaniment. And there were people who, who said, never, that's of the world. Hymns that were in harmony were at one time forbidden from the church because only the bars sang in harmony. And there were some churches in the early days that were kicked out of entire denominations because they sang in harmony. But now we look at hymns and organs and we think, man, so out of date, where's that electric guitar? Crank up the amp, give me some, some thump and bass. They were brought into the churches, but now they are tradition. And now some of you, we don't even have them. And you know what? You're gonna actually grow out of your own hipness. Paul in Philippians uh, 2, 3, he says, consider others more highly than yourself. And if you hold on to your method or your style, you're going to make that into an idol and you're going to be adding to the gospel. So there's going to be a time when we're going to have to let go of our music styles and preferences so that the gospel may continue to be preached with clarity. 
All right, here's the last thing, and I want us to, uh, to pray, and we're going to wrap up our service with this. Is this story teaches us this, is that the gospel is for everyone. You see, this was the big debate. Those Jewish Christians, the ones that first got saved, even the 12 apostles, they did not believe that Jesus was really for everybody. They thought he was only for Jewish people. And for many years after the resurrection, they only preached the gospel to other Jewish people until Paul was called to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And as people began to get saved who were not Jewish, all of a sudden the apostles were conflicted with a dilemma. What do we do? God had to reveal to them in dreams and through other gifted teachers like Paul that, yes, the gospel is for everyone. You see, the early Christians were actually racially motivated. They didn't like non-Jewish believers. But Jesus came, regardless of your culture, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your age, your gender, your background, Jesus came for everyone. And listen, that includes you. Jesus came for you. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what your family background is, how you were raised. Jesus the gospel, the cross, includes you. Galatians 2.21 says, I did not set aside the grace of God. He says, I'm not going back on this. I didn't set it aside. I'm going to stand firm in this. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, through any action that we have, well, Christ died for nothing. And this is this equation that we've been looking at since we started. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus anything else, anything else equals nothing. So as we continue in Galatians next week, he continues to challenge us against this tendency that we have to add rules to our salvation And uh, today I want to encourage you, graduate, listen, God loves you. He came for you. doesn't matter how much you know about God or grew up in church, you need Jesus. Parent, doesn't matter how many times you've gone to church or what you say you believe, you ultimately need to understand that it's only through the cross you need Jesus. So as we pray right now, if you need Jesus today, maybe you've added to the cross. Maybe you've been part of a church that has unfortunately added to salvation and you felt guilty or felt, you know, um, weighed down or felt like you could never measure up, but that God would never want you. Listen, he wants you. He loves you. He died on a cross to rescue you from your sin. You can know him now, right now. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Let's pray. If you're here right now and you're saying, you know what, I recognize I need Jesus and and I have lived my whole life adding to the gospel, but now I understand it's through faith alone. Would you just take a moment and talk to Jesus? Talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, thank you that you came for me. Thank you, God, that you died on a cross for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. You rose again 
from the grave. I give you my life. Show me how to live. Thank you for saving me, God. In your own words, just tell him something like that, anything like that. God, thank you for saving me. Forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.